that 2 Corinthians 3.18 teaches us that as we behold him, in my paraphrase, we become like him. And I think sometimes we think that, you know, it's all about, we can become so performance-oriented, and it's all about our works and what we do. When Jesus is just saying, no, come and behold me. And then, as we behold him, as we look into the mirror of God's word, and we come, as been sung earlier today, face-to-face with Jesus, his reflection bounces back to us. And as we stare into his word, as we behold him, supernaturally, by the power of spirit in his word, we become like him. And every day, we look a little bit more like Jesus by beholding him. We get it so wrong when we think that he's pleased with the more we do for him. And, you know, we need to rest in his grace. He's looking for a Christ-like character in you more than he's looking for what you do for him. Remember the story of Mary and Martha? Who chose the better thing? Why? She chose to be with him. She got it. She got it. And it's just such a good thing for us. So you came back. I'm really happy about that. (laughs) It was wonderful to have that break and hug some more of you and chat with some of you. And I'm so excited to see what God is doing here today. And we are going to continue that. So we're going to ask uh, him to meet us once again in this time. Father, thank you. Oh, for this beautiful day and for all the hands that helped to prepare um, that this gift of hospitality, God, where we create an environment for women to enjoy you, to come and be welcomed, to have your spirit here speaking and loving and caring and praying. And so we are excited, God, for what you have. I, I pray, Father, that uh, you would make us alert, that uh, we would not tune out from what you have, because you have so much more. So we give you all the praise, Lord. We ask you to move in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we visited these verses in Peter, and um, I want to remind you once again that Peter comes, God comes and says, my beloved, Did any of you see the movie, The Apostle Paul, by the way? Oh, several of you. I want you to think about that for a minute. Um, I loved how that movie showed the human frailty uh, of the, uh, the disciples with their families who were headed off to face the lions. And the, I mean, because those are the things you think about, right? When you read the Bible, at least I do. How did they do that? How were they able to go with such courage to their deaths, and to think of the leadership, like Peter, knowing that quite possibly he wouldn't see them again, sending them out with this exhortation. 
I just want you to keep that in mind as we go through this because this is something that only that we can only do by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can only respond because we know and love and trust God that he um, will work all things together for good for those who love him but I just want you to uh, keep that in mind because these are difficult verses. Um, They're asking us to do, by the grace of God, hard things. And I just want you to not be afraid of that, to know that God is with us, he is for us, no weapon against us shall prosper. And he is going to keep us. And we don't need to worry about that. So, in the second part of these verses... Peter is saying, this this session is called Waging War, Abstaining and Maintaining. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you, and they will, and they do, as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, Glorify God in the day of visitation. We're going to unpack the rest of this. I want you to be aware, the very word sojourner, remember, we are reclaiming our identity. It sounds a warning, reminding us of our duty to be distinctive and set apart for Christ. So to better help you understand these verses and the way that we actually live them out, I want to present to you three examples that give us insight into this idea of abstaining and maintaining as we wage war. Now, I want you to note that the war here that we're talking about, this is our war with our flesh. That wars against our very soul. So we have a flesh as well as the enemy. And often we blame the enemy. (laughs) But our flesh is pretty powerful too. And so this is what Peter has in mind as he writes to us. But these three examples help us to learn how to live well in the tension. And the first one is called separation, not isolation. And I think that we uh, make a big mistake when we live as bubble-wrapped Christians. This is not what the Lord meant when he said, be in the world, but not of it. By Christian bubble, I mean the subculture that Christians create that allow us to conduct our entire lives having minimal contact with anything secular. Are you tracking? So we hang out in our Christian book clubs and our Christian Bible studies. Now, get, don't get me wrong. There is nothing wrong with that. But when that is all that we have, we are not thinking about all the men and women out there that don't have what we have, that are lost, that are hurting. We have the answers. We have the remedy for what ails them. And we can't keep it to ourselves. And I want to talk about this for a um, minute because this idea of separation and not isolation, it's really something to be avoided. And here's why. The Christian bubble can quickly envelop almost every aspect of our life. It can destroy our passion 
to be a part of Christ's mission. It can destroy our passion to be a part of Christ's mission. We have, uh, and I, I want you to think about these, these fleshly desires in this way, because we never think about them this way, but we have a strong desire for comfort. And so for us to go out and to share our faith, it, it's, it's a risk, right? But that desire for comfort and to stay in the safe zone, in the bubble, is tempting. Because I'm afraid I'm going to get rejected out there. Or I'm afraid I won't know what to say. Where Jesus tells us, I'm going to give you what you need to say. You just need to get out there. Right? He's given us everything that we need. He's not going to abandon us in a moment when we have a conversation with someone about Jesus. But this desire for comfort is one of those fleshly desires. Because this word um, fleshly... When you study it, these fleshlies, fleshly lusts, um, if I could nickname it for you in the Greek, it's, it's called an over-desire. So the desire is okay for some of these things, right? But when that becomes all that it is, it becomes an over-desire. And we sort of become addicted to it. And it becomes the thing that we do all the time. And this is really what Peter is talking about here in this war against our flesh because we have a desire for safety, we have a desire for comfort, and most of all, we have a desire to self-protect. I'm not going to let you hurt me. I'm not going to go out there. I'm not going to forgive. That hurts too much, whatever whatever it might be. And the danger of being bubble-wrapped is that we can easily rationalize to ourselves that we are not in sin. That this desire, uh, you know, to just stay in what's comfortable for us when we've been all been clearly commanded to make disciples and share the gospel. It's for every single Christian believer. It's why we're here. We're ambassadors for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5. We're ministers of reconciliation. Not just me, not just the leaders, every single person, every woman here, you were created to be a woman of influence. Wherever your sphere of influence is, you are to be that light that shines brightly for whoever is around you and whoever is living in the dark. That is every single believer's responsibility. But here's what happens when we bubble wrap. We easily fall into an us-against-them mentality. And that is where it's dangerous. That serves to work against love instead of promoting it. And we begin to see the unbeliever as evil and wicked and our enemy And sharing the gospel when we look at them like that is never going to happen. We won't ever do it. Because believe it or not, you develop a disdain for that. And that's why we need to know the depths of our own sin as sinners. (laughs) That we are sinners. And it is only by the grace of God that we make it through each and every day. And we are, we are not perfect, not by a long shot. And so to look and judge the world in that way, instead of to see them through the lens of Jesus Christ and the heart of love that the Father has, he gave his one and only Son that those people would not perish. And we are the ones he has called to bring life to these people who are literally, eternally dying out there. 
And I just want you to think about that, about this bubble. Um, I, one of the ways that I got myself out of this bubble is I am just very intentional when I go out and about no matter where I am. And my husband and I actually love doing this, but we might be in a Walmart, we might be in the grocery store, we might be in the doctor's office, and we are intentionally looking at people, saying hello, how are you? Just that step of faith... God is going to bring people to you. Because today we live in such a uh, social media place where relationships are scarce that a face-to-face encounter with somebody is becoming less and less likely, right? You do your shopping online now, your clothes and your groceries. When are you going to go out and meet people? (laughs) I think that's very scary, don't you? If we're just Facebooking it all the time. We're very brave, by the way, and bold on Facebook. (laughs) But we are not like that when we meet somebody face-to-face. So we have to come out of our comfort zone and out of our shells and talk to people. Ask God to give you a heart for hurting people. He will fill you. He will fill you with his love. And when you ask him to bring you someone, he has never not answered that prayer for me. He is going to do that for you. He is going to bring people into your life. And that is how you become a woman of influence. But that is why the word of God is so important. Because if that word is not in you, it's not going to come out of you. And you are going to be fearful. And you are going to wonder what to say. Can I just encourage you? We have the answers. They can't trip you up with any question. I don't care if you just sit there and say, I have the answer, it's Jesus. Who cares if they get upset? I have the answer, it's Jesus. Either you want to know about him or not. (laughs) But I mean, it really is, we have the answer. And if we're not confident that we have the answer, then we will never share. So I want you to think about this idea. And the thing about these three examples I want to give you, they're here so you can identify areas in your life where you are um, to abstain or maintain, maintaining godly lifestyle, abstaining from fleshly lusts, so that you can gauge where you're at. And you can take some time today to think, wow, am I more of a bubble wrapped? (laughs) Or I am a cultural Christian, or am I a, a real standout, which is where we're headed. So, cultural Christian. Now, the cultural Christian is not bubble wrapped. But they are not very noticeable because they are blending in. And I will tell you today the danger, there are three dangers in becoming a cultural Christian. I mean, we're out there living before the world, but we are living like the world. And so they don't, the people that see us don't see a difference. We're just blending in with everyone else. So number one in that, of these three dangers is we pay lip service to the existence of God, but our life choices suggest otherwise. Yeah, we're praise God. <laughs> I love God. I love Jesus. But my life says something very different. My life says something very different. Somebody's getting pinged on their phone. 
my husband does that to track me down sometimes, but my phone's closed, I'm pretty sure. Right, Cindy? (laughs) Thank you. Okay, good. Okay, so I want to talk to you about some of those choices because what are these desires or fleshly lusts? Let's get a more specific here about what Peter is talking about because I really think in this verse he's talking to the danger of blending in and he's talking about desires that will first, A, steal your affection for God. These are desires that will steal your affection for God where you will have a greater love for something or someone else. Believe it or not, that can even be in our families. Our, our families, our spouses, our children, uh, they can become idols in our life if we're not careful of how we handle that relationship. These things that we have from God in this world are gifts. They're ours to enjoy in the time of our sojourn. <laughs> And so nothing belongs to us. It all belongs to him. These are also dis- dis- desires that will discredit your testimony. And all of us have seen this happen in our churches, in our uh, pastors, uh, even maybe in our close circle of friends where people are falling away. Because they've been entertaining desires that took them over the edge didn't admit it to anyone and lived with it in silence and it overtook them. These are over-desires. These are things that can take us down the wrong path. And they will discredit your testimony. And not that there's not grace for God to pick us back up again. But we get one testimony. And we want to glorify God in that. So we have to be aware of these things that have the ability to overpower us or to take us under its control, whatever it might be. And I just want to tell you that God gives us these things to, in, to rightly enjoy, but Paul says everything is permissible, but everything is not beneficial. And we need to be careful what we're doing because other people are watching and we want to be honor, honor Christ in every way. But in this definition of fleshly lust, it also includes all kinds of self-seeking toward wealth, power, or pleasure. And we know that the unbelieving world lives for self, and everything they do is directed to promote self, please self, or protect self. And this is... A desire to be accepted by the world. And I want to tell you that we don't want to be accepted by the world. The world has nothing to offer you in their acceptance. It really, it really doesn't. I mean, we may be unpopular because for our Christianity. I mean, I'm pretty unpopular in my family. Um, I still love my family and I'm there and um, available, but um, I'm very well aware um, that I'm pushed aside for a lot of reasons, and um, everybody's afraid I'm going to say the name of Jesus. Oh, look out! Here she comes! Here she comes! Don't say that word! Even though I don't do that. But really, I, I think you can all relate to that. When people know you're a Christian and you come around, if they're not a Christian, they're like, oh, there she is. Look out! 
And they begin to shy away from you or distance yourself. But even today with Christians who are not walking, they don't want to be around you either. Because you just convict them. Your life is saying something to them that, oh my gosh, what am I doing? So they're either going to confess that and repent and, and, and walk with the Lord or they're going to distance themselves either even further from the church. But you know, we are commanded in the Bible to, to grab our, our sisters who are fading away and gently restore them and love them and bring them back. That's what, that's what we're to do. So point number two is the cultural Christian is my relationship with Christ becomes very emotional. It's like a roller coaster. It goes up and down and up and down and when things are good God is great and I love him so much and I go to church and I read my bible and I'm serving but when things go wrong or are bad God is not so great and I'm not so happy and I'm not going to go to church and I'm not going to read my bible and I am not going to stay the course And we have to recognize, you know, women, I love that God made us with emotions. But um, as I teach in Master Life often is that our emotions are not to master us. Our emotions are there to serve us. We are to have the personality of the Holy Spirit. And we have the spirit of self-control. And we can have that fruit of the Spirit in our life. But we need to be able to identify when our emotions are out of whack. And you know hormonally, they can be really out of whack. But that's not an excuse because I went through that. (laughs) I tried to say that, but it didn't work well. (laughs) And finally, third, syncretism. And I want to... This is what I see more than anything. And I don't, I don't speak as someone who has it all together, believe it or not. I am a sinner saved by grace. I know that there is nothing special about me and that it is God working in and through me. But I have counseled a lot of women over the years. Um, I have visited a lot of churches and prayed with women and um, talked to women. And I would tell you syncretism is the worst of this cultural Christian thing because we mix the ideologies of the world with the Bible. And so we begin to think if we watch... uh, I I don't like to use Oprah's name all the time because I've used it before, but or Dr. Phil (laughs) or Fox News. I have this in my Titus study, but... We get a little bit of Fox News and we get a little bit of the Bible and then we push them together and that's our doctrine. And when the Bible doesn't really say that at all. I mean, it sounds good, but it's not really the truth of what Jesus teaches at all. And we need to be accountable to the truth. And I see this happening more and more when movements come in and movements go out. Um, we begin to adopt these things that are being said out in the world and we add them to what we're learning in the word. And you know, it dilutes the total power of the word of God. And not only that, it's, it's deceiving. These are lies that are being spoken and combined with the truth, which is not, is not the truth at all, right? Right. So think about that. The things that have your ear 
social media, fake news, whatever it might be, the things that have your ear that you're listening to, that you're paying attention to, and you think, oh, that doesn't sound so bad. I, I, guess, I, could, I guess I could buy into that. Beware of that. Bring whatever that is, that voice, into your word or get with another godly person and say, is this, is, this really what, is this what the Bible teaches? There are even a lot of Christians that are saying, well, that's what the Bible says. And you need to know for yourself. I mean, let's, let's face it. In the New Testament, they had Paul. And the Bereans said, I'm going home and I'm checking out Paul. The Bereans were faithful to go home and check out for themselves what the word of God said. And I think the saddest story in um, the Bible, one of the saddest stories, and that definitely uh, gives us insight into the cultural Christian, is we can look a lot like Lot. You know, it's really hard to reconcile Lot's life. Peter is clear to tell us that Lot is saved, 2 Peter 2.7, but we wonder why he spent his life in Sodom. And I read, um, I love R. Kent Hughes, uh, his commentaries. And he wrote something about Lot that I just want to share with you. I want you to think about it. Righteous Lot loved Sodom. While scandalized by it, he hung on to it for dear life. And he and his family paid dearly. So listen carefully. Setting ourselves apart from the world so that we might reach the world is not so much a series of no's as much as it is an immense yes to Jesus Christ and all that he gives. Ironically, though, Lot was revolted by Sodom. He was oppressed by Sodom. Sodom was in his soul. It is possible then for a believer to be oppressed. Now listen to this. This is so timely. To be oppressed by the world by willfully clinging to the world. There is every evidence that righteous Lot was of no benefit whatsoever to the inhabitants of Sodom. Though he lived in Sodom for years and was prominent in its gates. And therefore would have had many opportunities to influence his friends. Lot utterly disappointed. No, Peter's not pointing to Lot as an example of separated living, but rather as a stunning example of God's grace. God is gracious. Even though Lot was saved and deemed righteous, his life on earth was of no consequence. And that's what I want to talk to you about. We are here for a reason. This is the only time we get to live by faith. We'll have the story in heaven. But God is so gracious. And don't you want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And I know people say, well, I don't care about the rewards. Well, we should care about the rewards because God cares about the rewards. He wants us to know that he will be pleased that we lived our life fruitfully. We only get one chance to do that. One chance to do that. And yes, we're saved if we don't do that, but what a waste. What a waste of our lives if they were not fruitful, that God gave us this opportunity to walk by faith when we cannot see. I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven, that's going to be so wonderful. But what I love here is when I don't see something and I walk by faith and then God shows me, oh my gosh. And what does Jesus say that he hopes he'll find when he comes back? 
What's the one thing he's looking for? Faith. That's it. Faith. What you believed about him that impacted and influenced your life. So the third example here is being a standout. I love that. Peter says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God. Warren Wearsby said this, the Christian life is a pilgrimage from earth to heaven, and our task, this is our task, is to take as many as possible with us as we make this journey. Life is not about us, it is about others. But this is how I want to live my life as a standout. But I have to tell you, there's two areas that I've noticed. I've been a believer since I was 38 years old, and I'm just about to celebrate my 64th birthday. (laughs) So 26 years of following Christ, and I, I really do believe that I'm on fire more now than I ever was before. But my prayer every day is, God, help me finish well. Because there are a few things that I'm noticing that are like, wow, you're right, Lord, this is going to be hard. And one of those things, let me just ask you, be honest, be honest, because I know I'm not the only one. Does the news make you angry? (laughs) All right, look at you guys, hands went up. I love that. So you're with me. You're tracking. (laughs) Do you believe sometimes that it looks like evil is triumphing over good? Lie, lie, but I'm with you. I'm raising my hand with you. Thank you for being so honest. Do you find it difficult to maintain a heart of love toward the unbelieving world? Amen. Oh, you guys are good. Oh, I'm so excited. If you answered yes to any of those questions, you recognize how hard it is to live as a standout in this world. Because part of that is the righteousness of Christ in us. It's like when Jesus went in and he turned the tables over, right? In the temple. We get angry. Righteous anger. Be angry but do not sin. Righteous anger. And you've been called, you and I have been called to walk a fine line. Because this world is not our home. We are unsettled and so disturbed. And rightly so. But God has asked you to be in the world, to choose to be a standout for him. He does not want you to hide away in the bubble. He does not want you to blend in the world like Lot. He wants you to stand out in the world and to be a woman of influence. Which, by the way, my studies sold out, and I thank you so much for supporting that. But I wanted to let you know to email me. Um, If you are interested, I will give you the same deal. Don't order on... I have Amazon, but I give a special deal to churches. And today's deal was $10. And um, buy uh, three studies and you get one free. So it's... What was it? 20? Yeah, it's $20 for three bio studies. So if you email me, you won't have to pay shipping. And I'll send them to you and I'll give you the conference price. But I wrote a study on becoming a a woman of influence. And if you just want to write down in your notes, Ephesians chapter 5. It it is a deep study through Ephesians chapter 5. And all that is there to help you become a woman of influence. 
And if we want to stand out, we need to be those who live honorably before a watching world. There's two things that I think. I'm, I'm just sharing you with what I'm going with, uh, what's going on in my own life. And I just want to be really transparent and hope that it, um, I know that it's going to resonate. I know I'm not the only one. But Augustine said, uh, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. And one thing we have to do is fight that restlessness. Because our hearts are wanting something. And we have to recognize that longing as that longing is for Jesus. But we might try to fill that longing with something else. So here's some questions you can ask yourself. What, do you, what have you tried to fill the longing with? What are you tired of? In what area of your life are you discontented? What are you chasing after? And most of all, where have you become hopeless? Where have you become hopeless? There have some, been some things that happened to me recently that have broken my heart. People that I love. But hope deferred makes the heart sick. Proverbs thirteen twelve. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. And I attribute this next verse to Denise Salvato and Yvonne. I don't even know if they know how much this verse changed my life. But we did a retreat once here at Calvary Vista where we, our theme verse was Romans fifteen thirteen. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What do we find out about hope in that verse? By the power of the Holy Spirit, we have joy and peace in believing. When we are hopeless, the Holy Spirit is quenched in our hearts. And that's because in our minds, we are believing lies that there is no hope. And the Holy Spirit is quenched. Until we agree with God in our mind that what he says is true and right, the Holy Spirit is quenched. The second that we agree and say, yes, God, I may not feel like it, but I know it's true, he comes in and just invades and empowers us with the Holy Spirit. But the promise is to abound in hope. And in the Greek, it's abounding and abounding and abounding. So we should be the most hope-filled people in the world. Because our hope abounds in the power of the Holy Spirit. But imagine not having the Holy Spirit and being an unbeliever. We have so many hopeless people out in the world that need hope. That believe that this life that we're living in, this world is all there is. Can you imagine that? I know what that was like for me before I came to Jesus. I wanted to kill myself. I had messed up my life so bad, I did not believe there was a future or a hope for me. So fighting restlessness. And the second one is dealing with injustice. I just did a uh, counseling training last week on victory over victimhood and when harm and injustices are done to us, how deeply that hurts. And we ask ourselves, why do the wicked prosper? 
And if we don't address that question, if we don't take it to God, and if we don't have others pray for us, and if we don't find out what's really true, we're going to become disappointed. Not only with people, but with God. We're going to become angry. We have a hard time believing that God is a God of justice when day after day we see nothing but injustices all around us. And I have to admit, man, there are some times where I'm like, that is just not fair. Why is that happening? No, that can't be. When evil appears to be winning, we have to be careful as Christians that we avoid growing cynical and pessimistic. Because a defeatist attitude can set in that says, okay, if we can't beat them, we'll join them. And guess what happens? We respond to evil with evil. And that is what the enemy sets a trap of offense. When we've been offended or when we've been harmed, there's this bait. (laughs) And what the enemy wants you to do is pick that thing up and hold on to it. And let it bring you down. Let it, be the, let it be the end of you. The injustice that was done to you. And I love, what is, what, I, I'm hoping you can all yell this out with me. What does Psalm 37 tell us to do? Anyone? Do not fret over the evildoer. Do not fret. You need to do a word study on that word fret. Because it's just not like a little fretting. It's this idea of stirred up anger. Do not fret over the evildoer. And God tells us exactly what to do in that psalm. Pretty much he says, you forget about that and you focus on this. And I think that for me, in my years of being a Christian, that those are the two things right now that are my challenge, that I have to take to the Lord, that I have to grow in. And I am asking God to do a great day in my uh, to do a great thing, work in my life. And this lifestyle of maintaining that Peter is asking us to do, wow, this word is, this word honorable doesn't, um, it means in the Greek, beautiful. It points to the overall flavor of our lives. And guess what? It sounds a little bit like kale, Yvonne. <laughs> I was just looking at that in my notes, but it's, it's Kalos, K-A-L-O-S. <laughs> I'm sorry, that just caught me. But this is a good word. It means beautiful or attractive. But our life should be marked by good deeds that are viewed by a godless culture, that even a godless culture could say, Wow. That was good. That was special. That was beautiful. I don't see that happen that often. Wow. And remember Jesus, how the common people said that they were just glad to be around Jesus? This is what they're talking about. Is that winsomeness that just draws people to you. The joy that you have, the strength that you have, the grace that you have, that you breathe out. um, The love of God. Even if they don't accept Christ or the Bible, they know that you're good in whatever they think that means, but to them that's important. But this idea of observing us, it's not a short-term observation. It's over the long haul. 
that Peter's talking about here. So even if you're not aware of it, unbelievers are watching your life. They see how you react to things at work. They observe how you talk about other people. They watch how you deal with your problems. And they note how you treat your families. They are watching. And this is just not short term. So your families, your neighbors, your friends, uh, people you work with, they are watching you when you are not aware to see if what you say about Jesus Christ is true. If you are the real deal. And not that we're not going to blow it and we apologize when we do. But the thing is to keep in mind that's not about you. It's a witness. It's a witness. And you know the early church, they had to deal with things being said about them. That they were accused of murder. They were accused of incest. They were accused of cannibalism. They were so misunderstood. And so left out. Um, and isolated from the rest of the culture. Um, Well, many lost their lives, but I mean, they lost livelihoods. They were pushed and shoved aside. So remember, these pilgrims were in the midst of serious persecution, and Peter is saying, do not return insult for insult. Do not return insult for insult. Romans 12, 17, 21. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the gist of it is repay no one evil for evil. Repay no one evil for evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you believe that? Do you believe that we can overcome evil with good? And why can we? Because there is a day a-coming. Amen? Our last and final point. The day of visitation. Peter says that those who observe our good deeds will glorify God in the day of visitation. Now I've studied this passage deeply and it's Scholars differ on what they believe about this passage, but but either way, to me, it's a win. (laughs) It's really good. So either it refers that because of your good conduct, God is going to come and visit this person and is going to bring salvation to this person because of your good conduct, or this person is going to stand at the great white throne of judgment if they denied you and rejected Christ and every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord you can count on it this is where we find our hope but God says be faithful to me because it's a win either way for us if we are faithful to share and somebody rejects Christ and they stand at the great white throne judgment God gets the glory every knee will bow every tongue will confess But if we, by our good conduct, lead somebody to Jesus Christ and God visits them and they are um, at the Bema Seat Judgment with you and me and we're all throwing out our crowns and we're all celebrating, praise the Lord. It's a double win. To me, it's a double win. But what God says to you and me is be faithful. Be faithful to your witness so that I might be glorified. And I hope you know, my friends, I, I get so excited about this. That we win. Now, you're all looking down at your notes, and you didn't look very excited about that. Well, thank you. 
I mean, you should be standing on your seats because, oh, look at you guys. I love you guys. I have always wanted to do that. But God, now listen very carefully. God is going to right every single wrong. Repeat after me. God is going to right every single wrong. Nobody is going to get away with anything. Woo! And that's okay. That's righteous judgment. I'm sorry. But Lord says, vengeance is mine. You be a good witness. And you know that I've got your back. I'm going to take care of it. Judgment is coming. Either way. So we don't have to worry. We win. We win. We just need to walk in the position of victory. And not of defeat. And not let this world get us down. Amen? So I want to end with this. Jonathan Edwards wrote... God is calling you to a radical way of life, the pilgrim life. You pursue God and the enjoyment of all that he is instead of living for this world's pleasure or for self-fulfillment. Of course, it is the only way to true self-fulfillment as well because as Jesus said, if you seek your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, you will find true life indeed. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, my friends.